If you've got a Bible, we're turning to John chapter 4. To John chapter 4. Michael touched on this passage about uh, four or five weeks ago. We're going to dive a little bit deeper into it. John chapter 4. All right. Good deal. So my senior year of high school, I was sitting in class one day, and there was a young lady that sat next to me, and I was going to church here at Rich Fork at the time. I'd been coming for the student ministry for a couple years and had really just started to get involved. And there was a young lady that sat next to me that was the same age. We'd been in classes together all growing up, and there was something that, that she made very clear. She was not a believer, and she was actually very adamant against it. So there were a lot of times where people who were believers would go and try and talk to her and try to convince her that, that she was wrong and that she needed to change things. And I remember one day I'm kind of sitting beside this conversation that's taking place. It's towards the end of the day. We got our work done. And I'm sitting there, and these two other people who happen to be on FCA, which is Fellowship of Christian Athletes, which was a Christian organization, Rich Fork, they're sitting there and they're talking to her. And finally she just says, you know what? People try to talk to me about God all the time, but none of y'all have ever invited me to church. Well, at this point, I'm like, okay, challenge accepted. Hey, you want to go to church with me this Sunday? We can go. And the other two people kind of look at me, and I'm like, what? And she goes, yeah, okay. And so we sit there, and we talk for a minute, and we work out the details. And so Sunday morning comes, and I go, and I pick her up, and I pull up down there in the, in the lower parking lot near the youth area. And we get out of the car, and we're starting to walk in. And we stop right there, and she says, hey, do you mind if I, have, I smoke a cigarette first? And I'm sitting there, I'm like, no, go ahead. And so we're sitting there, and, and this is the point where I'm sitting there, and we're, she, she's like leaning against the wall, and we're just kind of sitting there, and it's kind of like that awkward moment because like we, we know each other, but we're not like really good friends, but this is kind of happening, and I don't know if we called each other's bluffs or whatever. And I'm sitting there, and she, she's smoking, and I suddenly get a little bit nervous because this, this young lady um, had quite a few more face piercings, piercings than most of you. And uh, she didn't dress like the average Rich Fork attender. Um, she dressed very different. And uh, we were both seniors in high school, male, female, and she was eight months pregnant. And she's sitting there leaning against this wall, and I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, you know, you're not going to look like everybody else. What have I done? Because in my head, this is playing out real quickly, is we're going to walk into the middle of the Sunday school classroom and then walk into worship service, and nobody's going to say anything to her because she's going to stand out like a sore thumb, and they're going to look at her and be like, they're going to be very clear. She does not, she's, not one, she's not like us. She's different. And all of a sudden, I'm getting really nervous. And I remember we walk into the building, and at this point, like, my, my radar's up. Like, I'm panicking because I'm, I'm in defensive mode, okay? I'm trying to make sure that any judging eye that comes out, that I'm, like, heading it off. So, like, people come around the corner, and I'm like, hey, what's up? How you doing? You know, I'm starting the conversation before they do. But we walk right in the door, and there's one of our ushers, okay? He's been an usher for, for forever here at Rich Fork, okay? He, he, he's like our chief Levite. His name's Norris Hill. He walks around the corner. And he looks up, and with the most genuine smile in the entire world, he looks up at this young lady and goes, well, how are you this morning? Is this your first time here? Just with this joy that she's in the room. 
And then we walked downstairs to our Sunday school class, and my Sunday school teacher at that time was named Dana Myers, okay? And I'm not a hugging person, but she gives great hugs. And as soon as we walk in the door, Dana looks up, and she goes, well, Matt, who have you brought this morning? And I introduce him, and she just gives her a hug, and we sit down. And we ended up going through the whole day, and somehow we made it through that day, and I didn't feel like anybody was, like, like be, being mean or a jerk or judging this girl. And we get back in the car, and she's like, are you okay? I said, what do you mean? She goes, you seem really worried about something. And I'm like, no, I'm good now. And we drive off, and I take her home, and on the way home, she looks at me, and she goes, you know, I've never been to church before. She goes, but that was all right. And she gets out of the car, and we're gone, and we're on our way. But I remember that moment in my head where I panicked because I knew I was about to do something. I was about to bring somebody that looked very different to a group of people that were very different from her. I was about to take her to a people group that were nothing like her. They didn't think like her. They didn't talk like her. Okay, there's a couple things she said at school that if she would have said here, I might have been kicked out of the church. And that's kind of what we're talking about this morning because our topic this morning is talking about unreached people groups. Before we get to the unreached part of this, we need to talk about what the people groups part of this is. And I could give you a bunch of technical definitions, okay? I had to sit through a seminary class, and we spent half a semester reading books that talked about the definition of people group. What is a people group? What does it look like? Da-da-da, all this other stuff. We're not going to get into a technical definition in Greek word study this morning. I'm going to give you a practical one, and we're going to work from there. So here's your practical definition of a people group. A people group are people whose way of life is different from yours. Okay, this is beyond ethnicity, this is beyond social class, okay, because look, you might live in a neighborhood where if you look on a tax form, y'all click all the same boxes when it comes to income and race and all this other stuff, but you might live next to somebody and the way they talk, the way they act, the way they spend money, the way they treat their children is completely foreign to you. And that's how we're approaching this this morning. On a very practical level, we're going to ask this question as we move into the category when we put unreached with this, of how do you treat people who are different than you? And we can even look at that in the room this morning. Because we have this tendency to when we encounter somebody who doesn't make the same life choices that we do, we normally do one of two things. We either try to convince them that they need to live the way that we are, or we stay as far away from them as possible. And you know that this morning. You feel that this morning. You know that in in this room, there are people who have made drastically different decisions with their lives. There are people who've made different career decisions. There's people that spend money differently than you do, that drive something you wouldn't drive, that dress in a way that you do not dress or don't think someone should dress. There are people who eat and drink something differently than you do. There are people who use different products than you do. There are people who vote different than you do. And as humans, we look at all these earthly issues, and all of a sudden we start putting barriers up, and we start categorizing people. Oh, they're one of them. And we create this huge division that really has nothing to do with sinfulness in Scripture. It's just an earthly preference. We can even take our own personal convictions Okay, let me clarify that. We can take things that because of our life experience, our weakness, the way we were brought up, that we really feel convicted that that doesn't need to be a part of our life or that it does need to be a part of our life. And because it's a personal conviction, we can then try and impress it on everybody else around us. 
And we create this magical checklist of how you live up to the way I think you should live so that you can be on my level. I heard a pastor this week state something that just just is stuck in my mind. He said, it's amazing when you look at people who are on the Christian journey of faith, and then that person looks back and they see somebody who's somewhere else on the journey, and immediately they cast judgment down the line. They're just immature. Why are they still dealing with this? Then they hear the pastor. I mean, he gave that great like one-liner that we can remember, and it like rhymed in everything, and he gave them the Bible verse, and we've taught it in class. So why are they still struggling with this? And we forget that it took us three years to really learn how to live that. Because this morning, we're going to get to the heart of the matter, and the heart of the matter is plain and simply this. When it comes to people and people who are different from you, are you going to offer them judgment or grace? Are we going to sit there in our own egos and demand that people live like us immediately, right now? And I just want to be clear. We'll get to this in a minute, okay? I'm, we're not talking about biblical sin and the truth of Scripture yet. We'll get there. We'll talk about how to handle that in just a minute when we get to this passage. We're talking about our own personal opinions that we've shaped into this way of life that is an absolute. And so we handle this in scary ways, and I'm guilty of this. I'm guilty of looking across the room or sitting in a restaurant and looking at somebody and sitting there going like, man, they should not be wearing that. Really, they're going to send their kids to that school? I mean, even with my own friends, I've sat there and gone, wait, you're going to make this career choice? That makes no sense in my wisdom. And I'm going to sit there, and I'm going to pass judgment. And I'm going to leave grace out the window. I'm going to start putting walls up. And then when we take and we apply that outside of the body of believers, and we encounter people in this world that need to know the grace of Jesus Christ, all of a sudden we've got this magical list of check boxes that they have to qualify for first before we're going to allow them to sit into somewhere where they can experience the grace of Jesus Christ. Let me just clarify real quick before we even get there. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, not yours. We're going to talk about that more in a minute. I'm going to hold on. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. We're going to jump into this passage because in this passage, Jesus is intentionally walking into a group of people that are different than he is. He's leaving a contextually Jewish culture and walking into a group of people that the Jewish culture says is unclean, not good enough. So that's where we pick up in the story in John chapter 4, verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. And he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field of Jacob, had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So Jesus, around noon, has been traveling a long way. And two things I want us to look real quickly at before we move on. is One is this. Jesus is not traveling to Samaria. He's traveling through Samaria. This is a pit stop right now. 
as far as the disciples are concerned, as far as they knew, they're coming through here and it's just because it's the quickest way, which within the Jewish context was the wrong way to handle it. A devout Jew, and especially a rabbi, a teacher, would not dare venture through this unclean territory with these unclean people. And the route that he's taken, it's not that big of a deal. The the choice for him to go around Samaria, it's a little bit further. It's like being in downtown Thomasville and saying, I'm going to go to Lexington. Am I taking New 85 or Old 85? And so he intentionally picks the route that takes him through this unclean people group. This group of people that are different than he is. And he begins to step even further outside of the box. In verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Do you see that the author's The guys that through the Holy Spirit and through God's guidance wrote this down, put in parentheses, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. When Jesus is telling the story of the good Samaritan, he's speaking to a Pharisee, one of the religious leaders who is trying to question him, that hates Samaritans. And that's why he uses them right there. Jews have no dealing with them. And so there's a lot of problems of what just happened right now. We've already addressed that the Samaritans are unclean. Another issue that they're having is that you have a male addressing a female. And in this culture, both in Samaria Samaria and the Jewish culture, that was not supposed to happen. Men were not supposed to talk to women in public. And so you have this situation. And, I mean, there were a couple, couple commentaries that said it was such a strong thought that a man would not even talk to his wife in public. Try that, fellas. And then you have the other issue that you have a rabbi, a teacher, talking to someone of the working class, which is what the majority of the Samaritans were. And so Jesus is all kinds of outside the box talking to this group of people that is so very different than him. Because here's how this should happen. This story should read like this. Jesus traveled through Samaria. He stopped and got something to eat. He went on to Galilee. Like, we shouldn't even know that there was this interaction with this woman because in reality, when that woman came up and got water out of the well, Jesus could have, should have totally snobbed her. He should have been sitting on the other side of the room going, well, somebody's trying to avoid people coming here at noon because there was nobody else from Samaria coming to the well then. They waited till it was cool, till the weather wasn't so hot. She's coming in the middle of the day because she's trying to avoid something. And I'm going to be honest, if anybody's going to sit there and pass a judgment, it would be the one who walked on this earth and was without sin, which was Jesus. He has the right to sit there and go, you know what? She's not living right. And completely ignore her. Cast her aside. Give her condemnation and not grace. But that's not what Jesus does. He looks at her and he says, give me a drink. You want to talk about going way out of bounds? Then you go in this culture as a devout Jew and tell someone that you drank out of the same cup that a Samaritan was using? You're unclean for days, weeks. And Jesus looks at her, talks to her, addresses her as another human. 
ask for something to drink. This woman's thrown off. But Jesus has purpose is what he's doing. So we keep going, verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He has given us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Do you know what happens when we try to win somebody to our way of life instead of to the gospel? We're giving somebody who's thirsty a, a small sip of water. They're going to be thirsty again. Like, I mean, I really, I really got to ask you this. When we sit there and we see people and they're not living up to our standard, and so we try to correct their behavior, do you really just want to give somebody dying a thirst a temporary relief from an inevitable death? Or do you want to give them a well of water that springs up into eternal life? You see, this woman isn't tracking yet. She still thinks he's talking about earthly things, and he's talking about eternal things. So when she hears that I'll never be thirsty and never have to come to this well and never have to see anybody looking down on me again, that's what she says. You mean I'll never be thirsty? I'll never have to come here to draw water again? you got to give me this drink. Well, then Jesus gets real serious. I said we are going to talk about this thing where we're talking about sin, okay? And here's where it comes in, okay? Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman said to him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Jesus calls out her deepest, darkest sin. I'm going to be honest, when I read this, I read it like Jesus is saying it with this arrogant undertone, with this sarcasm, because Jesus is perfect and she's not. Like I, like I read this and wrongfully my brain kind of puts this weird twist on it where Jesus is sitting there and he's like, so why don't you go call your husband? And she says, I have no husband. And in my brain that tone is like, <laughs> Yep, you're right. You've had five husbands, and the guy you got now is not even your husband. So this arrogance, with this boastfulness. But you read the context, and you understand how Jesus cares about this woman, that he's not offering her judgment, he's offering her grace, and it takes on a whole different meaning. He's not mocking her sin. He's not calling her out just to prove that she's wrong and he's right. He's grieving sin. You've heard that it was said to love the sinner and hate the sin. But we twist that even further and we take it to just a level of hate. We get to know somebody who's living in sin and all of a sudden we hate the sin and all we want to talk to them about is how much we hate this sin. We don't want to talk to them about them. So I say to you this, instead of love the sinner and hate the sin, you're going to love people and grieve sin. Jesus is grieving this woman's sin right now. 
He's not mocking her. He's not gloatingly calling her out. He is broken for her right then. And he's saying to her, go call your husband. She says, I have no husband. He goes, you're right. You've had five. And the guy you have now is not your husband. And she knows. She knows because she changes the subject. In this moment, she knows she's, she's not handling this well. She's coming to the well at noon. Because socially, she's experienced judgment. She wants to stay away from it. Everybody around her can tell her what she's done wrong. Everybody around her can give her that look over the shoulder. But what's happening right now is Jesus is offering her grace instead of judgment. He's looking at this woman who, man, she's got a rough life, and she's of a different people than he is. And he's not just sitting over there on some rock, just passing judgment in himself, waiting on the disciples to get back. We're like, yeah, so check it out. This girl came to the well at like noon. You know she done something. That's not what's happening. This conversation continues, and Michael covered this a few weeks ago. Jesus intentionally presents this gospel to this woman, and she gets to meet the Messiah. She, got, Jesus reveals himself to her, and she's so overjoyed, she runs into town. You know what the word is she brings to everybody in the town? This man told me everything I ever did. That passage up here a few verses later that we're not going to have a lot of time to cover, that, that one's always thrown me off until I begin to understand that, yeah, this man told her everything she ever did and still spoke to her, still talked to her, and offered her grace. So who were we to pass judgment? You know the story of the woman caught in adultery? All these guys show up with rocks, and she's caught in adultery, so we need to stone her to death, and they bring her before Jesus. Jesus says, he who is guiltless, let them throw the first stone. And one by one, they start walking away. And he says, who's here to condemn you? The woman says, no one. He goes, well, neither do I. Go and sin no more. I want to be very clear. We take sin seriously. We take the truth of Scripture absolutely seriously. But we're not going to shuffle the deck together of our personal earthly preference and the truth of Scripture and then try and impose it on somebody in a judgmental way. That doesn't work. That gets in the way of the gospel. That means you're trying to make disciples of yourself, not disciples who follow Christ. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. When someone knows Christ, they truly encounter His presence. They begin to spend time with Him and study His Word. There's something within them called the Holy Spirit that is at work convicting them of their sin. We as fellow believers, our role is to speak the truth in love. Not to speak the truth in judgment. Not to just speak love without truth. So we got to ask ourselves a question this morning. If we're really serious about reaching unreached people groups, there's going to be a whole bunch of people in this area who are different than we are. Are we going to stand back until they change all the ways they act so we can have a conversation? 
Are you going to stand back and pass judgment? Or are you going to offer them grace? And if you're going to do that, you're going to have to get uncomfortable. Because that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's passing through an area right now, and he's going somewhere else. But as we know in this story, he stays for two more days. That wasn't part of the plan. The disciples come back, and they're like they're concerned. Because, I mean, remember at the beginning of the journey, he was really weary. And in verse 31, it says this, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Not only does Jesus look past an earthly way of life, To reach these people, he releases his earthly comforts. He knows there's work to be done. He's weary. He's tired. He's hungry. But at the prospect of being able to introduce someone to the Messiah and to talk to these people, he spends the next two days, which is not what they originally set out to do, and he was hungry at the beginning of this journey, but now he's not hungry because he's got to continue this conversation with these people, and that has energized him. It's filled him. It's getting him to that point of passion that you see people rant on social media about. But it's not about an earthly thing. It's not a political debate. It's not a money issue. It's not a how you raise your kids. It's about people coming to know the grace of Jesus Christ. And we can't tell people that if we're offering them judgment. They don't go together. Because I'm going to be really honest with you. There's some people that God has put on my heart, and there's some people God's put on a lot of the hearts of the people out here, that if we've gone through this pattern and neighboring series, that we're talking to them, we're trying to share the grace of Jesus Christ, and one day, God willing, they're going to come in, and they're going to sit in this service right now, and if they encounter a bunch of judging eyes, instead of encountering the grace of Jesus Christ, then we have a problem, and we will answer to God for that one. You see, we're not the judge. He's the judge. You're a believer in this room. He's called you to give up everything and abandon to follow him. And one of the things that I know that I struggle with is I'm really good at judging people. I'm really good at sitting back at a distance and figuring out maybe a side conversation with somebody, how somebody's supposed to live or what they should be doing or how they should be leading or the ministry decision they should make. I'm really good at that. I mean, I can tear somebody up and one side and down the other. But that's not what I'm called to do. I'm called to offer up the grace of Jesus Christ because he's been so very patient with me. He's been so patient with each one of us. And so this morning, here's what I'm asking us to do as a church. The band's going to come back up here, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to be standing down front right here. If you want to come and talk to me, you want me to pray for you, you got a question, I'll be right here. But this altar's open. And they're going to come, and they're going to play, and I'm going to ask you to take a few minutes and deep within your heart, investigate your heart and your mind, and be specific of the ways you've judged instead of offered grace. 
of the way you've condemned instead of offering salvation. Because God called us to bring grace, His grace, to the world. To go into the world and make His disciples, not ours. Not to sit in an egotistical position and judge. The church was designed to be a place of people who are different. Who have different spiritual gifts. Who have different passions, but one God and one Spirit working together within them. So like I said, I'm going to pray, and I want you to use this time. And I'm be specific. If it's a person that you need to go apologize to, then you need to sit there and write it down and talk to God about how that needs to be handled. If it's a particular attitude you have, then be specific as you pray to God this morning about what you've done to judge instead of bring grace. Because it is only by the grace of Jesus Christ that we will reach the people in this area. That we will reach the almost 100,000 people who are not sitting in the church this morning. Because God did not give us judgment. He gave us grace. And that's what we have to do. I'm going to pray.